Ragbag presents I Like the Sound, a celebration of the sound of things. I like the sound. I like the sound. I like the sound. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. A celebration of the sound of things. That's a beautiful sound. That's a really beautiful sound. There's a scene in the film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The 1970s adaptation of Roald Dahl's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory starring the late, great Gene Wilder which ties in nicely with the theme of this week's episode. It's one of the first films I remember seeing vividly, and I've seen it many times over the years, but this experience must have happened during one of those early viewings. I started noticing various tricks of the trade employed by makers of the film, like the chocolate river. That isn't what melted chocolate looks like, I said to myself. That's water with brown food colouring in it. I pity that poor kid who had to scoop it up and drink it with both hands while at the same time being body shamed by some little orange men. That can't have been nice. And the sound effects as well. Stuff that was added in at a later stage. Not just the obvious elements like the background music or the honks and bleeps of Wonka's various contraptions. That scene at the end where Charlie gives Willy Wonka the gobstopper back. If you don't know what I mean, it's not really important and it's far too complicated for me to explain succinctly. Basically, it was a test of his loyalty. He was given the opportunity to betray Wonka's trust by something to do with a gobstopper. You know what? It's not important. I'm just saying it's a significant scene in the film. Charlie gives Wonka the gobstopper back. So everything's quiet in the room. Wonka's just had a massive strop about something or other. He's not a very nice man, all things considered. Then Charlie breaks the silence by saying, Mr. Wonka? And he gently places the gobstopper down on the table and it makes a kind of a sound. And I thought, that's a bit loud for a gobstopper being put down on the table. Wait a minute, I thought. I must have been about six years old when I had this thought. In retrospect, I'm quite impressed with myself. I thought, wait a minute, someone's added that sound effect in to emphasise the sound of the gobstopper being placed down on the table because clearly this is a pivotal moment, a key beat, as they say in the screenwriting world. I was very advanced for a six-year-old, wasn't I? And so, someone's had to add that sound in. They've had to make that sound somehow and record it and then place it so that it perfectly sinks in with the exact moment when the gobstopper hits the desk. I remember walking around, recreating the sound later on. Mr. Wonka? Mr. Wonka? Mr. Wonka? Anyway, this week we'll be talking about film. All the things my six-year-old brain started wondering about while watching Willy Wonka all those years ago. I'll be talking to two friends of the show, Asher and colour. We've had them both on before and they're great people. Coincidentally they've both released some new music. Details are in the show notes. 
Also, one of Asher's new tracks is coming up later in the show. I'll be speaking to Asher herself in a minute. Just one word of explanation. First of all, we start off by discussing the Wilhelm scream. This is a specific stock sound effect that was first used as far back as 1951 and despite being a well-known movie cliche, is still often used today. I'll play it for you now. You may recognise it from Star Wars or Toy Story or Game of Thrones. The list goes on. (laughs) There you go. That's the Wilhelm scream. Here's Asha. Uh, so many movies use the Wilhelm scream. I mean, I think it's funny if you use it ironically, like you know that <laughs> this is a joke and you're like purposely like, you know, putting in the Wilhelm scream. But if you're like a serious film and like, you know, some action scenes happening and all of a sudden someone screams and it's that, I'm like, you are lazy. Like that is so lazy. <laughs> But I hear it sometimes in serious movies and it completely takes me out because I'm like, this is so old, like, and everyone knows this sound, like, get a new scream. There's tons of screams out there or just record one. Like, I have recordings of myself screaming, like, for different projects and stuff, but, like, stop you <laughs> scream unless you know this is, like, a comedy moment. And But even then, I'm like, I almost feel like it's lost its comedic value there, too, because I've just heard it so many times, even used that way. Yes, and, and kind of uh, people have got wise to it and everybody knows what it is as well. So yeah, it's kind of weird that they're still using that, isn't it? <laughs> it's so weird. There are so many sound effect libraries in the world. Like I have so many on my computer. There are some that I like I subscribe to online. Like I can search like thousands and thousands of sound effects and then people are still using this one. Like, <laughs> for a film, no way. Like do some real sound design. <laughs> <laughs> well i think they still yet yeah, the one that annoys me with films is um the, when somebody gets punched in the face yeah and it's always that kind of yeah. like, like from an old <laughs> kung fu movie from the 70s which is obviously being punched doesn't sound like that everyone knows this but somehow we accept that when yeah. someone gets hit in the face in a film it's, I, I think it's because a real punch you, you can't really hear it you won't be able to hear it you know yeah, they gotta do something, but I think there are t- tons of movies that show like this is what it could sound like, even if it's like sort of realistic, but like times 10, like, you know, the drama or whatever, like the really silly ones. I'm like, unless this is an old Kung Fu movie, I don't want to hear a punch like this. Like, unless <laughs> it's some from the 70s or something, and that was the sound effect you had. Don't do it, <laughs> you know, take take some time and like really flesh out your sounds. You know, that's the sound designer's job. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like I've and, done and sound you- design for video games and stuff. And like, if I did stuff like that, my, you know, boss or whoever was above me would be like, what is this? <laughs> you know, like I used to make gun explosions and stuff and they had to be like super epic and like tons of explosions, you know, like I had to, I was putting like 10 different sounds or more on top of each other with distortion and all this stuff, like to make it sound really full and intense and epic. You know, that's what you gotta do. Footsteps is one thing to get wrong in, in TV and film as well. Cause I mean, there's, you can yes. hear somebody coming down the street and it's a yeah. <laughs> it, uh, 
you know, real footsteps don't sound like that. I watch a lot of like YouTubers play video games, like, you know, like a lot of people, people do, but uh, a lot of these games that they're playing are like indie games, indie horror games and stuff. And the footsteps right. are always wrong. And I'm like, it, like, you know that if you're on a carpet, it sounds different than if you're on concrete. It's just, it's never gonna sound the same. Mm. Like just put in a little bit of effort. <laughs> Because it can be the difference between like being immersed and not. That's the same problem I have with the Wilhelm scream. Like I want to be immersed, and when I hear that, I'm like, "Well, I'm out of this movie." <laughs> yes, yeah. It's uh, when when there's a reminder that this thing isn't real. It's yeah. uh, just kind of turns you off. It's like when you're reading a book and one of the characters has got a made a name that has clearly been made up. Like uh, he's called like Mister Angry or something. Um, yeah, that's not his name. Well, I don't know. I don't know if you saw um, Tenet. The main character doesn't have a name. His name is protagonist. That's literally. His oh, name. I see. Right. Yeah, they're like trying to be edgy, and I was like, but like, you could have given him something. It could have been something as simple and dumb as like Mr. Brown, Mr. Smith, Mr. Whatever. Just something really basic, Mr. Jones, whatever. <laughs> But do they actually refer to him as yeah. the actual oh, character himself is like, I'm oh. the protagonist. He literally says, I'm the protagonist in this film. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see what they're doing. <laughs> Go ahead if you. <laughs> yeah. It's it like, it's, you com you're committed, yourself. but yeah, I don't, I don't really <laughs> understand this. Mostly I just get annoyed with music is too loud or distracting in films but that's just like a whole other Christopher Nolan again is very known for doing that and apparently doesn't even realize it I'm like no you gotta turn your music way down man <laughs> like I want to hear the score trust me I that's what I go to the movies for I'm always listening to the music but if I can if I really can hear the music and I'm like getting annoyed by it it's too loud <laughs> You would think that, um, uh, you know, somebody with Christopher Nolan's stature would have uh, caught on to these things. But um, yeah. maybe not. Uh, <laughs> I think he thought people were kidding and they were like, no, we're serious. <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I, I, you know, again, I do film com like composition and I'm like, I want to hear that music. But there's also, uh, you know, a level where like, you have to have a balance it can't just be really loud music and really really soft quiet dialogue like you have to be able to balance too <laughs> as yes. much as you want to maybe show off your grand Hans Zimmer score or whatever like you gotta like tone it down a little bit yeah well and it works better anyway when it's uh, kind of when the film mu music is uh, is best when you don't notice that it's there exactly it's just kind of subtly kind of uh complementing what's going on I will say my second uh, my second least favorite thing right now is a lot of scores sound like exactly the same because of like this whole Hollywood like Marvel like big vomps you know the Hans Zimmer vomps and all that stuff like I'm like can we move on like I keep thinking Hans Zimmer needs to just disappear for like 15 years and go live in some small you know village in the middle of nowhere and like learn some new musical techniques and then come back and just like blow our minds because i'm like this is just too much everything is saturated with this sound and i think it's just it's over for me i'm like i'm so tired of hearing the same like big strings big brass like over and over again and i've had to recreate a lot of it for work so i'm like saying this as like i just want to i want to recreate something new <laughs> like 
I'm tired of the big brass swamps. Let's let's get rid of it for a while. You know, we'll come back in like 10 years. Uh, yeah, yeah. So do, do you, when you get kind of commissioned to do stuff, are the guidelines kind of saying things like, we want it to sound like Hans Zimmer, please? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I also get a lot yeah. of like, we want it to sound like Billie Eilish, so don't get me wrong. And there's a whole game. Oh, yeah, I, do, yeah. I do so many things, but... When it comes to like the orchestral stuff, I'm like, it's because they use their own, like, like they'll use a temp piece from something else that sounds exactly like it as a reference for the next thing. So it's just kind of like this insular, like circular musical thing that's happening where everyone's like, well, I'm going to copy this thing. That's a copy of another thing. That's a copy of another thing. And it all just starts to sound the same. They could save themselves a lot of money by not employing Hans Zimmer anymore. I'm just, uh, I know. <laughs> just getting <laughs> someone some. who sounds a bit like a hundred percent, but they want his name. That's the thing. They're like, but who's Hans Zimmer? But that's why I loved like Johan Johansson because he was, I mean, I'm still so upset he's dead because he was doing stuff that was like still epic and interesting, but like cool and refreshing. Like his score for uh, uh, Arrival is one of my favorites. I still listen to it because it's just so out there, but it still like holds such power. And, and I'm like, it's just so bummed that I feel like he died when he was like finally hitting his peak. It was like becoming the next big composer. And now we're just stuck with Hans Zimmer. <laughs> no disrespect <laughs> to Hans Zimmer. Obviously he's super talented, but yeah, I agree. It's like they could just hire someone who does exactly what he does yeah. for way cheaper if they wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, well, they're going with the name, but also, you know, I, I, I don't know anyone who would specifically go to see a film because Hans Zimmer did the score. Yeah, not anymore. Um, <laughs> Back in the day, maybe. Now yeah. I will see a movie if I see like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross did it because I know it'll oh, yeah, just yeah. be interesting. It'll be a little different. It'll, like I love their soundtrack for uh, oh my, The Watchmen. Uh, that one oh, is yeah. like really fun. Uh, but on top of that, that also had a lot of great licensed material, like old stuff from like the 20s. So like it, it, there was just great music like overall in that show. So like Hans Zimmer probably could do interesting stuff, but I think he's just hired and he's kind of typecast into this flomp sound. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably really bored. <laughs> I'm sure he's bored of it. <laughs> but they're like, no, no, yeah. Hans, just do that. Just do that thing again, you know? Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure he's quite happy with the paychecks. Yeah, but he's not even really doing a lot of it, you know, like he's just giving yeah. it off to his in interns or employees or whatever. And he just, you know, he's uh, like, yes, yes, here we go. Perfect. He's <laughs> got his whole studio, which also gives it this impersonal aspect, too, which I this disconnect from composer to music, which I you can hear. I think you can hear it. Now let's hear from Color. I'm sure you've heard and seen those videos of those of uh, old folks with Alzheimer's and then they get they were given music like from their childhood or from from uh, their maturity and, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. just see their eyes open which is like a huge signal that their brain is starting to kick in gear because that, that, I know the eyes are just the extension of the brain but it's like amazing how how sound can unlock uh, how how much sound has an effect on on our cognition at, at so many levels it's interesting what you're saying about the kind of old people listening to um kind of old songs and stuff like that because it kind of reminded me of um the, the the one time that i've almost cried at a film I, I was talking i was talking to somebody about this yesterday actually that i've 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 never 
I've never cried at a film before. And this kind of uh, annoys people who cry at films all the time because they, they think that I've got like a heart of stone or something. <laughs> but um, I, I'm just kind of like, well, it, it, it's, it's obviously not real though, is it? It's, it's, they're, they're doing this thing. <laughs> I, I would cry if this was happening in front of me right, <laughs> right now with real people. But um, the, I think the closest I've come to crying at a film is the, um, have you seen the Pixar film Coco? No, I haven't seen that no. one. No. Oh no, no. But the, that's the closest I've come. Is but there's um, there's like this grandmother character who's got dementia, and like they don't use the word dementia, but that that's kind of like what you would recognise it as if you were an adult watching the film. So it's quite it's quite nicely right. done in terms of that, and um, like uh, like she didn't say anything. I don't th- I don't think she said anything throughout the entire film, and then at the end, like. Um, they play this song that um, is, has some, some connection to the family and stuff like that. And she starts singing it. Uh, you know, she kind of comes to life and starts singing the song. And um, it's just, it's just like a really emotional thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's the, that's the closest I've come to crying at a film is um, Pixar's Coco. I suggest you check it Pixar's out. Pixar's good at doing that, man. I, yeah, I, uh, definitely. I, I used to, I used to, not, yeah, I used to not cry. And then one year, I forget what it was. I just watched something and I just kind of, I don't know. One one day I just went, I was just like, you know what? I don't care. I'm just going to like, I started feeling like, oh, I'm going to, here comes the waterworks. And I was like, just let it come out. But it's usually such a, re- a reaction where I think when it was, you know, and I still think about it when it's happening, I go, oh man, like, why am I so emotional? It's usually, yeah, involving a, some story like that or like a child getting separated from his parents or like a parent dying or you know some real traumatic like you human human real deeply human event but it's always with really sad string music you know or sad music that's with there that's really behind the behind it that's um in combination with the visuals right bringing you into that world and that's the power of of film score and and by itself the stuff is powerful but when you c- combine it with the visuals talk about cognitive like a, a cognitive jump start type thing where it's that there's so many more elements of human cognition you can reach into and you can invoke in different different uh techniques and effects that can happen when you combine both visual and audio mediums together think about think about the impact that would have in terms of the the number of people that cry at films is is you know quite high i mean most people will probably say that they have cried at a film at some point right um i'm just the exceptional because i've got a heart of stone but uh, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, i think if you took the music out i think that percentage would go way down you know that there would be much less of that if there was no, if, if there were no film scores present during that, oh yeah, during 100%. those emotional scenes, and that's part of why I don't like those commercials and stuff, like I mentioned before, because it's like I I really appreciate f- film when it's a beautiful story and it's really kind of the like the high art now, other than like maybe opera still, but like where it's live action and stuff, but film, 
is really like kind of the 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 opera in itself now and it's like you can really combine so many artistic elements into one i believe opera is just the plural of opus but it's it's like the you put it all on one and yeah man they when when it's in that in a medium for a particular artistic purpose and like you can feel it and it's transcendent you know and you like get into these emotional states it's powerful but with the with these commercials it's just uh it's it feels malicious you know what i mean and then it's just like that's what makes me tune it out i think because it's like the you know you have the harp <laughs> you get the harp coming in and sad sad music and then all of a sudden it's really happy music or this really sad music and you're just like and you, and you know everyone can't help but see it and watch it and you know and they just it just makes me it just makes me upset but when it's in a film i can appreciate it more unless it's a terrible film but even in like yeah, an that, 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 that's movie. when it leaps out to you if it's a bad film and you listen to the music and all you can think of is this music wants me to feel a certain way and right. um, and i'm not feeling that way right now because the film is bad um but right, you know, yeah you can't suspend your disbelief because it's just not doing its job you, you know like you go into the film usually i mean unless you go into the film already being like i'm not gonna some you know but a good film can take can you know help help escape you into a different world you know usher you into a different you know to suspend your disbelief as opposed to when it's a bad film and it's not doing it that job of allowing you to suspend your disbelief and escape into that world and into that narrative then things can get or you know if you're just you know you're tired you know, i've had that too where I watch these amazing films but i'm just like tired and not in the mood and, and then you watch it again some other time like when you're actually are in a different state of mind and open to receiving whatever it is that they're trying to do in the film, you know, then, but I would generally say, yeah, like the, the film scoring and sound design is, it's quite a, it's quite an interesting thing. And there's this thing called Foley too, which may, maybe sure you heard of, of Foley artist is the one who makes all the noises. If you have any of the, extended or director's cut editions of any of the Lord of the Rings movies, you know, bringing it back to Tolkien, there's a extended cut version where there's behind the scenes of the Foley artists and what they do to make the noises of all the orcs, you know, in their armor. And then you just see them, you know, in this room with this, <laughs> there's a warehouse of this Foley artists who have just warehouses of random, random objects that you'd be like, what? Like, that is just some guy like banging a bunch of aluminum foil together or something, you know, or whatever it is, or, you know, the classic thing is like the, the Monty Python coconuts <laughs> with the, with the horses. Right. Or it's like, yeah, damn, yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty close to horses. Right. And I'm sure people do that. Right. I've seen that um, people do horses or water noises or battle noises, all that stuff. Or even you watch old Jackie Chan movies and you can hear those, you know, <laughs> you know, like these just noises of like, and yelling and screaming and all that stuff. Those are all like edited after, you know, like even, even in nature documentary, nature documentaries, like a BBC and David Attenborough stuff. A, so much, a lot of the noise is just kind of filled in. They'll combine things. They'll combine like um, atmospheric noises of certain things. And then they'll design a lot of their own sound for certain things. Be like, yeah, like, they don't have like this intense 
I mean, maybe they do. Sometimes they do, but sometimes it's obvious that it's not real noise, right? It's like you're not getting all this like perfect fish, you know, noises of fish moving around underwater, you know, or or you know what I mean, like or these specific bugs or this type of bird, and like perfectly, they'll they'll get other other recordings of things that are similar or of that, you know, obviously I would like to assume that they're doing it as accurate as they can to like reflect what the actual animals do. But you also hear the orchestra in the background too, right? Telling you what mood to feel with what sound, you know, you know, and you hear David Attenborough talk narrating and then you get these noises and a lot of that is designed. It's, you know, and it, uh, and it works. It works because it makes much more compelling documentary, I think, than if it was just, here's the perfect video and audio that we recorded. It's like, to get that good audio, man, like... They can be forgiven for doing that as well. Because, yeah, I mean, 100%. It's, it's hard enough to capture the visual uh, of like an animal doing its thing in the wild. To capture the audio at the same time is <laughs> kind of, you know... It's, it's almost kind of an impossible thing, isn't it? So they have to sort possible, of yeah. add, the, add these kind of sound effects in at the end. And it kind of, I think, yeah, I think Planet Earth 2. I remember there was, a, when I watched that one, it came out. I think, I don't know how long ago that was, half a decade. But it, I remember hearing some things and be like, I was like, that's definitely not that noise. You know, <laughs> and like, if I can hear that, then I know other people can hear it too. But again, like I'm, I'm on, I'm on your, you know, I totally um, am on the same wavelength that you're saying. It's like, I, I'm under, I understand the limits of technology that they have and there's, it's tough, but sometimes, like you said, when it's, it can get to a point where you don't suspend your disbelief. And then all you think about is that, as opposed to the, you think about the flubs or the mistakes or the, the thing that's obviously fake. Right. And then it takes away from the rest of it. And so it's a, it's a fine line that people walk and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure BBC or whatever production that does planet earth, I know BBC is behind it, but I don't know if there's, you know, if the same people make everyone or I have no idea, but, but uh, whatever sound company, I'm sure they don't want to be hearing that. That's the last thing they want to be hearing, right. About how fake it is. But at the end of the day, people also have to understand that, the fact that it's impossible to as long as it looks and sounds authentic then that's cool because you know if, if if the audience saw the the raw kind of footage they they just turn off after <laughs> you know, yeah they, definitely <laughs> they, they, they start watching after five minutes at least because um it just wouldn't be any good yeah some people i'm sure some people understand that right and i'm pretty sure there's amazing I don't remember who scored the, the planet earth, but those ones usually have really good film, uh, f- good, uh, composers and stuff. Cause those are such big films now, but yeah, it's clear when you're like, Hmm, that's a little lizard. And there's like, <laughs> and it's in this random, like this environment where and it's, it's, I don't know, the technology just doesn't exist, but some people try to make it obvious, you know, maybe in some of those, maybe they're making it obvious and then people just don't understand that they're trying to make it more obvious and that they're telling that narration. And then they think that it's supposed to be real. Right. And, you know, so I'm sure you get in this weird, this weird uh, race <laughs> condition or whatever you call it, where it's true as best they can. Right. They're still just telling a narrative. And a lot of times this, 
you know, a lot of times even the footage isn't, uh, isn't fully actually what's happening. Right. Sometimes they'll, they'll just cut together different scenes of a certain animal, even though one happened maybe days before they want to tell a, a nice narrative about this, you know, and it's, that's their role to do that. And like, that's, would you want something to be entertaining? Or do you want it to be really boring and like not make sense and not have a narrative because a story is much more compelling. And so how are you going to reach a wider audience? I'm sure there's, you know, you reach a wider audience by allowing, you know, the artists to, to create something, some, something compelling. And then if you can teach someone during that, a little bit a bit about the animals right that's kind of the job that they want to do it's my guess yeah yeah absolutely i mean that yeah also the on, the only way to do it properly authentically would be to do it all in one take right and I, no, one one camera one take <laughs> so, yeah with a boom mic there's, not uh, close by. <laughs> there's half an hour of a lizard just standing still and then you <laughs> <laughs> if you that's authenticity if that's what you're asking for. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you don't want you don't want to see the real thing. No, nobody wants that. I Like The Sound was written, presented and produced by myself, Frank Burton. A complete list of source material can be found in the show notes. Many, many thanks to this week's guests, Asher and Collar. You just heard the opening track from Asher's new EP, and better still, the track is called Hidden Languages. Check out the rest of it via the usual streaming services. Further details via the website ashermakesmusic.com. Colour has a brand new album out, it's called One Half. He's recently appeared on my other podcast, Ragbag, talking all about it. Check that out. 15 albums in 15 years, long may that trend continue. Colour.com is the best place for all of that stuff. That's C-U-L-L-A-H.com, by the way. 
Now, my website is frankburton.co.uk. My new novel, Getting Away With It, is out now and it's brilliant. The audiobook version is on Bandcamp, currently set to name your price. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ragbagpresents. Please do share this show around. Give us a rating and review. Get in touch. Let us know what you like the sound of. I will see you soon.